We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 354 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, July 12th, 2022. Hey, shout out to Dax Milne. Shout out to our guy, Commander's Receiver, Dax Milne. This situation (laughs) involving Dax Milne dating the now ex-girlfriend of his BYU quarterback, current New York Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson, and the ex-girlfriend of Zach Wilson revealing that Wilson hooked up with his mom's best friend and the incredible coincidence that BYU is the Cougars and the tweets and the memes that have emerged off all of this over the last 48 hours, just spectacular, okay? Uh, And that Dax Milne, our guy, Dax Milne, commander's receiver Dax Milne, a 2021 seventh round pick of Washington is wrapped up in all of this is the best part for us anyway. You go Dax. Nothing but respect for Dax. As the great Rick Ross would say. Yes, the boss, Rick Ross. You tell him. Exactly, my friend. Exactly. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Hey, Nationals right fielder Juan Soto reportedly will be participating in the 2022 Home Run Derby, which will take place at Dodger Stadium this coming Monday night as part of the festivities in the lead up to next Tuesday night's All-Star Game. We had this Soto news breaking on Monday night. Uh, Now, Soto participated in the Home Run Derby last year and then ended up having a great post-All-Star break portion of his season. Uh, The Derby did not ruin Soto's swing. The Derby, in fact, seemingly fixed Soto's swing. Uh, So perhaps history will repeat itself. Although Soto's swing lately actually has been just fine, but uh, that'll be fun. Soto in the Home Run Derby again. Also fun, this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Next segment, I will address the very latest in the Commander's CommandLegacy.com situation. The team on Monday morning added left tackle Trent Williams to the voting for the 10 additional all-time franchise grades to give us 90 all-time franchise grades in honor of this year being the 90th anniversary of the start of the franchise. And so now the mystery is even larger. Why was Trent left off the initial voting? Was this yet another mistake on commandlegacy.com, which, uh, as we have seen, has continued to be riddled with mistakes? Uh, What exactly is the deal here? Uh, The commandlegacy.com site, a nice idea, should very much be a feel-good thing, but it instead has become symbolic of that which continues to plague our team. Uh, Why does the team keep having problems like this? Uh, And then on the show, a welcome on not one, but two special guests. Uh, First up, Eric from Commander's Realm. Uh, Commander's Realm is a very popular Twitter account. Eric is a smart and insightful Commander's fan. He puts out a lot of good thoughts on the team. He has amassed quite the following 
on Twitter. And he's a younger fan, so his perspective is a valuable one for the commanders as they are in the midst of the rebrand. Eric will be on the show to discuss uh, the state of his fandom, the state of the team, Carson Wentz, Ron Rivera, and more. And then I'll welcome on Capitals insider Tarek El-Bashir, of The Athletic. Uh, Tarek is excellent at talking Caps, and the Caps goaltending situation got a whole lot more interesting on Monday afternoon as we learned that the Caps had non-tendered goaltender Ilya Samsonov, meaning that instead of him this offseason being a restricted free agent, he now is set to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, This off the Caps this past Friday morning, trading away their other primary goaltender, from this past season, Vitek Vanacek. Now, the Caps still could re-sign Samsonov, but the Caps may well be cleaning house at goaltender. Uh, So what's the plan? (laughs) Who might the Caps be planning to acquire as NHL free agency will begin on Wednesday at noon Eastern? Uh, Are the Caps about to bring in a big name at goaltender. Uh, Also, what about what's going on with center Nicholas Backstrom? Could his career be over? And what about where the Caps are at on the win curve off them having been eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in each of the last four seasons? A lot to get to with Tarek. I'll get to all of that and more with him later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Edge off me on Monday's show, episode 353, for just the second time in the history of this podcast, doing an Orioles segment before a national segment. In other words, giving the O's top billing, writes Edge. I always wondered why you don't do the O's first before the Nats all the time. It's your pod and the O's are your team. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Edge. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I could always talk O's before I talk Nats, but uh, I bill this podcast as a Washington D.C. sports podcast. Uh, The Nats are Washington D.C.'s major league baseball team. Uh, I talk O's because there remain many fans of the O's in the D.C. area, often having not had a major league team for a really long time, 1972 through 2004. If you grew up in this area and you're between the ages of, say, I don't know, 35 and 55, there's a really good chance that you are an O's fan, not a Nats fan. Uh, I, as a child of the 80s and early 90s, grew up as an O's fan. Uh, But the Nats are DC's team, so they usually get top billing on this podcast, but not on Monday's show, and perhaps not moving forward this season. Uh, We'll see how each team's season continues to go. Tweet from Chris Murrell on the commanderscommandlegacy.com. Writes Chris, it's obviously better to listen than to not But it's amazing the number of things in the last year where they've had to hear your feedback and immediately pivot. As always, so sloppy and all completely avoidable. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Chris. Uh, I completely agree with you. Uh, Much more on this next segment. Email from Jim D on this Dax Milne situation. (laughs) Writes Jim D, funny how we tend to get Pulled back into the news cycle time and again. I hope you've noticed the Zach Wilson, Dax Milne rumors circulating. If true, we got another scandal on our hands. Looks like Milne (laughs) is on the right team. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could look at things that way. Dax Milne, if nothing else, has a great advisor in Dan Snyder uh, with the commanders. But you know what? I don't know that this Dax Milne, Zach Wilson situation is a scandal. I mean, These are adults making adult decisions, uh, to each his own and her own. Well, I'm not sure exactly who has been wronged in the Dax Milne, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson's former girlfriend, Zach Wilson's mom's best friend situation. I'll let you figure that out. But I do know that if you or someone who you care about has been wronged, you should contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims 
victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured, McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Anova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So we on Monday's show, episode 353, discussed the controversial and comical Commander's launch of CommandLegacy.com. Say that phrase fast 10 times. The controversial and comical Commander's launch of CommandLegacy.com. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, The Commanders this past Saturday morning uh, unveiled the website CommandLegacy.com. It is at commandlegacy.com that you, the Commanders fan, can vote for the final 10 people who will make up the 90 greatest people in franchise history. Uh, We already have the 80 greatest people in franchise history. We this year will add 10 more to get to 90 in honor of this year being the 90th anniversary of the start of the franchise in 1932. Uh, CommandLegacy.com initially offered 15 candidates for the 10 people to add to the 80 greatest people in franchise history. The controversy with CommandLegacy.com had to do with the team not including Trent Williams among these 15 people, uh, despite Trent clearly having been among the best offensive linemen in the history of the franchise. Trent, to me, is one of the four best left tackles in team history. Joe Jacoby, Jim Lachey, and Chris Samuels are the three others. Uh, The comedy with CommandLegacy.com had to do with the many, and I mean many, errors on the site regarding the 80 greatest people in franchise history, uh, misspellings, wrong dates, etc. Well, as I noted on Monday's show, the commanders did correct many of the errors, at least as far as we knew. Uh, However, we on Monday learned of either new errors or previously uncorrected errors. Uh, For example, Mark Murphy, former Redskins safety, uh, current president and chief executive officer of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, His last name was misspelled. His last name is spelled M-U-R-P-H-Y, but his last name on commandlegacy.com was spelled M-U-R-P-H-E-Y. So we're not done with the many errors on commandlegacy.com. If you're on Twitter, it has felt like every 30 seconds, a new error has been uncovered on commandlegacy.com. As for Trent Williams, so the commanders on Monday morning updated the ballot to include not only Trent Williams, but also quarterback Robert Griffin III. So there now are 17 candidates for the next 10 greatest people in the history of the franchise. Now, personally, I think that including Robert is unnecessary. The guy had one good season for the team. Uh, It was a spectacular season, no doubt, his 2012 rookie season. But still, the guy had one good season as a player for the team and had one good season as an NFL player, period. But whatever, if you want to include RG3, that's not like some crime against humanity. The more interesting item is Trent Williams now being included. I on Monday's show said that what seemed to be behind Trent not being included 
was the way he left the Redskins. Uh, the divorce of Trent and the Skins was a lengthy, drawn-out, bitter divorce. Uh, I surmised, as a lot of people did, that our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, still harbored animosity toward Trent. Uh, although I did acknowledge that it was possible that this wasn't true. You know, I kept saying things like, well, assuming this is true, because we didn't know for sure that that was true. And, you know, now that I think about it, it is worth remembering that Trent's problems were much more with our then-team president, Bruce Allen, than they were with Dan. Remember, Trent, even during his dispute with the team, constantly praised Dan and constantly kissed up to Dan uh, because Trent wanted Dan's money. Well, now that Trent has been included in this voting, are we not left to at least seriously doubt whether Dan was the reason for the omission of Trent, if not outright conclude that Dan was not the reason for the omission of Trent? Like, unless Dan Snyder on Monday had a complete change of heart, it would seem that the omission of Trent very likely was a function of something other than Dan being petty. According to Scott Allen of the Washington Post in a piece that came out on Monday, quote, according to a commander's spokesman, the list of candidates was compiled after engaging with several members of the franchise's 80th anniversary team, other select alumni, and team leadership, end quote. There also was this on Monday, uh, one of the 80 greatest people in the history of the franchise, the greatest return man in franchise history, Brian Mitchell. He on 106.7 The Fan on Monday said that Trent Williams's quote, name was on a list that was sent out to a lot of people that did preliminary voting. I know people that voted for Trent. I damn sure did, end quote. So what the heck happened here? Did not enough of the people involved in the preliminary voting vote for Trent Williams? Did the commanders somehow butcher the counting of the voting and unintentionally screw Trent Williams? Did the commanders just forget to include Trent Williams on commandlegacy.com? Like, is this just yet another mistake on commandlegacy.com? Uh, was the omission of Trent Williams, in fact, a result of Dan Snyder still being mad at Trent? And Dan on Monday did, for whatever reason, have this 180 and give the green light to include Trent. Uh, I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, I really don't care all that much. This whole situation is so dumb and so silly and was so avoidable. Here's what I do know. This is yet another instance within the last year of the team screwing something up so badly that the team ended up having to make amends for the mistake. You know, there is a familiar pattern now that is emerging. Team screws up, team apologizes, team fixes mistake. And I credit the team for apologizing for slash fixing mistakes, but why are these mistakes continuing to happen? The debacle that was the retirement of Sean Taylor's number 21. Uh, Crestgate, the commander's crest, having the wrong years commemorating the Redskins' three Super Bowl championship seasons. Uh, now this omission of Trent Williams as a candidate to be one of the 90 greatest people in the history of the franchise, and the many, and I mean many, I cannot emphasize that word enough, many factual errors on commandlegacy.com. Exactly how many more totally avoidable mess-ups does this team plan on having? We can't say with certainty why these mess-ups are happening. We can say, though, under whose purview these mess-ups fall. Team President Jason writes, These screw-ups are not football operations screw-ups. These screw-ups are business operations screw-ups. These screw-ups are Jason Wright screw-ups. Now, that doesn't mean that Jason Wright is totally at fault. Uh, perhaps he's being stretched too thin. Uh, Dan Snyder has a history of doing that with his employees, you know, having one guy do the job of like three different people. Uh, perhaps Jason is trying to do the right things, but Dan is making doing the right things extremely difficult. Okay. I mean, I totally get that there may be a lot going on behind the scenes right now that we don't know about. And I totally get that already Jason Wright probably could write a book 
about all of the things that he has experienced and witnessed in his less than two full years as team president. Uh, He got the job in August 2020, right? We're still only in July 2022. But you also have to acknowledge this. Perhaps Jason Wright has hired a bunch of people who are bad at their jobs. And or perhaps Jason Wright just isn't very good at his job. I don't know. I do think that Jason Wright is a smart person. I do think that Jason Wright is a good person. And again, I admit, we don't have all of the information. But the information that we do have includes that these screw-ups keep happening. I mean, just the many factual errors on commandlegacy.com. What is that? How embarrassing is that? Why are the commanders so sloppy? Why is it that these people can't get the spellings of names for all-time great players and coaches correct and can't get the dates of service for all-time great players and coaches correct. I mean, this stuff really isn't that hard. Go to profootballreference.com and you can double-check these things. Attention to detail, diligence, teamwork, intellect. These things are things that matter, right? You don't need me to tell you that. All of you listening know that. Uh, These things are things that every workplace should feature. Again, you don't need me to tell you that. All of you listening know that. So why does it constantly feel like these things are missing to varying degrees with the commanders? Attention to detail, diligence, teamwork, intellect. It feels like the team is perpetually lacking in many, if not all, of those things. The team has undergone so much change over the last few years, and yet many of the long-standing problems remain. I mean, let's be honest about things right now. If Bruce Allen still was the team president, he would be getting filleted for these mistakes, okay? People would be destroying Brucifer for these mistakes, and justifiably so. So it's only fair that we ask the question of Jason Wright, why do these things keep happening? Why do these screw-ups keep happening? Dan Snyder isn't overseeing commandlegacy.com. Again, that falls under the purview of Jason Wright. What is going on to where the launch of this website has ended up being such a mess? And maybe Jason Wright has a great explanation. Maybe Jason Wright is dealing with stuff with Dan Snyder, about which we have no idea. Who the heck knows what goes on behind closed doors with this team? I respect Jason. He has a lot going for him. I would love to hear his side of the story. But I'm also not just going to sit here and not be critical of Jason, or at the very least, Jason's department. You know, Jason Wright very astutely has befriended a lot of people in the media and a lot of people in the fan base. And that's part of why there is very little criticism of Jason Wright. I think that he is very smart to have done what he has done, but understand, I'm not beholden to him or to anyone. I want Jason Wright to succeed. I'm rooting for him to succeed. But far too often these days, Jason Wright is coming off like Jason Wrong. And that's a problem, even if all of this isn't necessarily all on him. As is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. Uh, Also, if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast, uh, but the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful and I thank you for doing them. So this episode of the podcast is for Tuesday, July 12th. We are 15 days away from the start of 2022 Commander's Training Camp. Uh, July 27th is when Commander's Training Camp will begin. Uh, I have been having a variety of guests on the podcast to talk Commander's in preparation for training camp, and we'll continue to have guests on the pod to talk commanders in the lead up to camp. Only the brightest commanders' minds are allowed on this podcast, by the way. We have very strict standards for who can come on this podcast to talk commanders. And so I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show right now, Eric from Commander's Realm. 
which is among the most popular Twitter accounts in terms of Twitter accounts of Commander's fans. Uh, at Commander's Realm has well over 22,000 followers. Uh, Eric, via his Twitter account, puts out a lot of good and smart takes on the team. Uh, He is a younger fan of the team. He's 23, so his perspective is a notable one as the team is in the midst of this rebrand and is trying to appeal uh, to younger fans. Uh, Hey, Eric, it's good to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Al. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you again. Uh, so as we get closer to the start of Commander's training camp, which really is the start of Commander's season, where are you with this team? Uh, are you excited for the upcoming season? Have all of the scandals and controversies and congressional happenings and Dan Snyder happenings drastically lessened your excitement? Where is Commander's realm as a Commander's fan right now? Yeah, I mean, I as a diehard fan and someone who unfortunately always pays very close attention to this whirlwind of a team, I, I am excited. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, like one thing, I really want to see what the uniforms look like and, you know, kind of all that corny stuff. But, you know, Carson Wentz, I'm excited about. I think he's probably, you know, without debate, the best quarterback they've had since Kirk, um, unless you wanted to say Alex. But overall, yeah, I'm excited. You know, last season we managed to convince ourselves with Ryan Fitzpatrick and murderer's row of opposing quarterbacks that, you know, we could go out there and win the division and compete in the NFC. And I look at this year with a better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick or Taylor Heineke, and I look at a much easier schedule. You know, we never know how easy the schedule will be in the offseason, but, you know, they start the year with teams that both picked, you know, top two. And I, I see that. And, I, you know, if we can get excited about last season, at least if I could, then I definitely think I can for this year. I'm curious about this. You as a 23-year-old are exactly the type of person who the commanders are trying to target and cultivate more of. All of this off-the-field stuff with the team, the scandals, congressional involvement, Dan Snyder, etc. Are you into that stuff? Do you care about that stuff? Does that stuff impact your fandom and whether you're into the upcoming season? I certainly pay attention to it. Um, I think with a lot of us younger fans, like the difference between like us and like guys who grew up pre-Snyder, you know, we don't know the difference. Um, we, we don't have the nostalgia that you guys do that grew up during the Super Bowl years and under Jack Hancock and Joe Gibbs. So I, I think we we're maybe not as on the pedal of him selling as you guys are, even though I absolutely would love to see him gone and new ownership come in. But, you know, I, I definitely pay attention to it. I, when it comes to my Twitter, I don't dig too much into it. I, I try to keep it primarily on the field because, I mean, that's what I made the account for. I mean, I made the account following the 2015 season. I was really excited about Kirk. They, they signed Josh Norman. They, you know, they went out and drafted Doxon, who I was a fan of at TCU. And, um, you know, ever since then, it's kind of turned into an off the field show. And it's like every day new. It's like we have probably 10 news stories break a week and maybe one of them's on the field. Um, we were fortunate enough last week to hear about the McLaurin extension. But, you know, that just gets surrounded by Dan Snyder, this Dan Snyder, that Congress, this. Um, so I, I don't let it eat me up. Um, I try as hard as I can to, to focus on the on the field stuff, which, of course, isn't that great either. But yeah, overall, it's it sucks. Um, but I, I don't I don't let it consume my entire football life, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense, and that's actually my approach. I mean, you're allowed to compartmentalize. You're allowed to acknowledge that the off the field stuff is really bad, but also still be a fan of the team and root for the team to win games. And uh, you could argue that nothing will play a bigger role in whether the team wins a lot of games this upcoming season than the play of our new starting quarterback, uh, Carson Wentz. The commanders traded for Wentz in March. We're now in July. We've had four months to digest the trade and consider what else the commanders could have done this offseason in their pursuit of a franchise quarterback. How do you feel about the commanders having traded for Wentz? Well, I think you have to do what you got to do to get your guy. And we know they went after Russell Wilson and they had interest in, you know, a number of other guys, but I'm not too wrapped up in what they gave up for him. Um, yes, it was probably a little much. Yes, they probably were kind of going against themselves with that deal. But at the same time, like if Carson once pans out, no fan is going to care what they gave up. 
I mean, that's the most important position on the field. And if you're bummed about a couple third rounders, you know, one that could, of course, potentially become a second rounder, and, you know, he ends up panning out to be, you know, as good as, you know, say, Kirk, the last good quarterback they had, then, you know, you're not going to be all that upset. Um, you look at kind of like the Baker situation, you know, the Panthers just got Baker for essentially pennies and people are like, oh, wow, we, we traded all that for once and the Panthers go out and get Baker for, but at the same time, we didn't know Baker was going to be available. And, you know, they tried to get Russ, Russ, of course, chose, or, you know, the, the Seahawks didn't want to send Russ in the conference. So I, again, it, it'll come down to how once pans out, you know, if it's, if it's a, another six win season, you're going to be like, Oh wow. I wish we had those, those third round picks. If he, if they get win, you know, 11 games for the first time in my lifetime, no one is going to mention those draft picks again. So I'm not, you know, I, I my feelings haven't changed. I, you know, once to me, and I, this is kind of what I, I've always said out of the NFC East quarterbacks that we, that I've grown up watching, like Wentz to me scares me more than any, um, Romo, no, no disrespect to Romo or Manning or McNabb, but I can't think of a, an opposing NFC East quarterback. Maybe Vic, you could say because of the Monday night massacre, but I, I can't think of a, a quarterback that scared me more. And to now have him on our team at, you know, 29 years old coming off the season that I didn't think was all that bad. Um, you know, I think Ursay kind of was the reason that all that went down. I don't think the coach and Frank Reich or the general manager really wanted to let him go. Um, I think Ursay kind of, you know, he's drafted Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, so I think his standards are maybe a little bit too high. But regardless, like, if, but that's kind of where I am on Wentz that, you know, when we originally traded for him, and that's where I am now. And it'll all come down to how he plays this year. How do you think Carson Wentz will play? for the commanders this coming season? I think he'll play good. I, I just, I worry about his health. Um, that's always my, we haven't had luck there, unfortunately, outside of one guy who we decided to let walk. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think if, which, you know, is a big deal. So like that to me is the thing. And also, you know, we have two other guys on the roster with, you know, pretty big names, you know, Taylor, of course, is a big name around here. And then they, they draft Sam Howell. So, you know, he's one injury away from there being kind of like a three-way quarterback controversy, which I, I worry about a little bit, you know, he, or if he has, you know, one or two bad games, you know, what's going to happen there. Um, but yeah, I, I think if he, if he plays, he'll play well. He actually, I mean, McLaurin, we talk about McLaurin not having any good quarterbacks, but you know, Wentz really hasn't had any good receivers. I think McLaurin's probably the best receiver Wentz has had, unless you want to argue that Alshon Jeffrey is better, which I don't think I'd, I'd make that argument. So, I, you know, and not to mention Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, who I'm excited about. You know, they've got four running backs on the roster who are all capable of making the team. There's some questions at tight end. You know, Logan, is, I think, has proven himself on the field, but he's, you know, he's already in his early 30s and is coming off of a, you know, an ACL tear. So, yeah, we'll see. We're talking Commanders with Eric from Commander's Realm. You mentioned the Terry McLaurin contract extension. The news of that really was one of the most universally well-received Commander's news items in a while. Is Terry McLaurin right now the most beloved Commander's player? And if so, when's the last time that the franchise had a player as beloved as Terry McLaurin is? Uh, I mean, he's by far the most. I mean, he's the face of this franchise. I think one of the you know, it wasn't just an on-the-field necessity for this team to get him done. I mean, he this team's struggling on the business side. And letting him leave or whatever would have been disastrous for everybody. And um, yeah, he's he's absolutely the most beloved. I'd, I'd say before him, it was probably probably Santana. Um, you know, not just because of the same position, but I mean, he's another guy who was kind of a, a bright light and a, a dark, or like you know, kind of a Ferrari in a trailer park. That's always kind of what I referred to them as. You know, Santana played with, I believe, 14 quarterbacks over 14 years, which four seasons, of course, are with New York. But then now you have Terry, who's played with, I believe, 10 in three years. So we're, we're kind of experiencing the same thing over again with, you know, the next guy. But, yeah, no, he's absolutely the most beloved guy, especially you know, offensively by far. You know, John Allen's probably next. Um, I'm not sure interior D linemen will get the love that receivers do. So I, I definitely probably put Terry ahead of him. 
but yeah, I mean, he's he's the face of this franchise. He's the jersey that everyone's going to be wearing for the next ten years, and you know, hopefully after this three year extension, you know, he'll only be thirty when he's when he's due for his, his next deal. And you know, he came into the league at he, like he turned twenty four his his rookie season, so you know, he's not going to have the wear and tear that some of these guys who come in at you know twenty twenty one are going to have, and he's going to be able to cash out with his skill set. I think he'll be able to play if he wants to, you know, well into his thirties. Yeah, Terry McLaurin's three-year contract extension with the Commanders could be the first of multiple big-money contracts for Terry with the Commanders. With the team for this upcoming season, which would you say that you have more confidence in, the Commanders' offense or the Commanders' defense? Oddly enough, I would say the offense, just because I don't think the defense got a whole lot better this offseason. And we saw kind of what happened last year. They went in with these huge expectations and they especially on the back end i mean the secondary was terrible and they they came out and just had it was just a terrible year they had kind of that stretch that four game win streak later in the year where they stepped up but to me like the the talent is more so on the offense um i'm actually a big fan of this o-line um not because they have any a-level players but at the same time they don't have any tomato cans per se um i think in the nfl as long as you don't have any weak links you're good and to me, I mean, the starting five, they bring in the two guards who are pro bowlers under Masco and Carolina. They sign Leno to the extension. They have their youngest guy in Cosme, who's on the right. Yeah, he's battling some injuries. We understand, but that's why they brought back Cornelius Lucas for depth. And they have Schweitzer, and then they have, you know, they went through like four centers last year. So to me, there's depth and there's proven consistency on the line. And then we know, you know, I spoke on the receivers. They've got three receivers all 26 and under as your starters. And that doesn't mention Cam Sims, Yami Brown, or Dax Mill, who are all also under 26. So to me, the receiver position is as good as it's ever been. Um, you know, definitely since Garcon and Jackson, who, you know, at that point, they were late 20s and getting ready to go. Yeah. So, you know, it'll come down. I mean, we obviously Gibson. The thing with Gibson is they go out and they draft Brian Robinson. You know, some say that's maybe to push him. Um, I'm a big fan of Gibson. I, I think you know there's a fumbling issue. There's also, a, I still think he leaves a lot on the field. Um, but yeah, offensively, I'm I'm definitely more confident there. I'm also a little more confident in Scott Turner than I am Jack Del Rio right now. Because um, I mean, Jack's been around for so long, and Scott's I think I think still still blooming. You know, we talk about McLaurin being the a guy who's, you know, really had it tough. But, I mean, Scott's had six quarterbacks in his two seasons here. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there is no denying the quarterback uncertainty that our team has had for a really long time. Uh, Taking injuries off the table, because injuries are a concern for every NFL team every season, uh, who or what would you say is the biggest concern for the commanders for this coming season? Um. If you take injuries off the table, honestly, it's just them, you know, getting in their own way. Um, I see the thing with Wentz is he's, he's good. He, he, he does well until things around him fall apart. So I worry that if he has one bad game, then the whole fan base is going to start chanting Heineke or Howell. And now you've got a quarterback controversy, even if say they're four and two. And then Wentz goes out there against Dallas and throws five picks. And then what's going to happen? It's just going to be a giant controversy, and that's just how this fan base is now, and I, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. Rod Rivera has made it no secret that this coming season needs to be a step-forward season for the Commanders. Uh, this coming season will be Ron's third season as the team's head coach, and of course, he's much more than just the head coach. He's the head coach in the coach-centric approach. He presides over football operations. Uh, are you feeling good about where Ron has the commanders or do you still have major questions about Ron running the commanders? Honestly, I, I still have some pretty big questions. Um, to me, he's, you know, they've, they've had two negative seasons. Yes, they snuck into the playoffs in 2020, kind of had that Cinderella year. But I mean, anyone who's realistic knows that, you know, the division was a dumpster fire that year. And, you know, someone had to win it. And luckily it was, it was Washington. But look, I mean, this is year three. And, you know, we talk about how they don't start the year well, but then they finish the year well. But I, he can't have a third straight year where, you know, we're on, we're, it's Halloween and they have six losses. Because, you know, that just, 
you know, the, at that point, they don't have any room for error. And they have to basically be perfect through the final stretch. And that was the issue last season. They did kind of go on that late season run, but, you know, COVID hit and injuries hit. And they, they used all their wiggle room in the first two months of the year. So, to, you know, this notion that he's kind of a slow starter, fast finisher, I, I think that that can't happen this year. They need to, especially with the schedule, I mean, they need to have, or he needs to have, you know, four or five wins pretty early. And um, as a coach, I love Rivera. Um, I'm still not entirely confident in him as a GM. Um, I've always said this before. Like, I, I think R- Rivera is a coach. Like, in this league, I think he's worthy of one of the 32 spots. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike Gruden, who, you know, we previously had. I did not think that. Um, but I'm not entirely confident in his GM skills. Um, I, I don't the, – the former Panther thing, I think, has gone a little overboard. Um, especially this offseason, they – they kind of let a lot of guys leave and then brought in a bunch of old former Panthers to kind of plug the holes. So, yeah, I mean, they everything right now is aligned for them to win 10 or so games, I think. And if they go out there and, like I said before, have five, six losses come November or late October, it's it's going to get ugly. It's, you know, the, the, the years of the five, six, seven-year rebuild in the NFL are over. You know, you get one year to, to really suck, and then you, you got to hit the ground running. No doubt. Major pressure on Ron Rivera and on the Commanders to have a good 2022 season. You interact with a lot of Commanders fans. You've been to a number of games at FedEx Field. Do you think that people are coming around or will come around to the name Commanders and to the rebrand? Or is all of this an uphill climb with which the team is having and is going to continue to have a really hard time? It's absolutely going to be an uphill battle. But it's like I've said, if they go out there and they win 11, 12 games, I, I can assure you it's people are going to come around because, you know, for me, and the, the sad reality is like I, the name Redskins is always for me going to be tied to losing because that's all I experienced. You know, we had people my age had one year in 2012 where we kind of saw, you know, maybe a glimpse as to what it was like before we were born. Um, but when it comes to commanders, you know, I don't think many people are a fan of the name. They certainly weren't a fan of the rollout of the name. At least I wasn't. Um, but if they, if they go out there and they have, you know, they win 11 games for the first time this millennium, I, I can assure you commanders will start to grow on people. Um, and when it comes to the visuals and the jerseys, and I don't think that's long-term. You see, you know, that could be a, these new jerseys could be a three, five, three to five year thing. You know, we saw, the Bucks go to those digital clocks for a couple of years and they went back. You mm-hmm. saw the Browns go to kind of the bulky font that, you know, the commanders now have on the home jerseys and they went back. So I don't, some of the stuff I don't think is permanent. Obviously the name is like, this is the name, but again, they go out and they win. Even the, the harshest of critics of this name change will kind of be like, Oh, well, <laughs> haven't seen that in a while. So it'll all come down to that. Yeah, I don't think that there's any disputing that. Eric from Commander's Realm, a terrific follow on Twitter, at Commander's Realm. Uh, Eric, thanks a lot for the time, man. Absolutely, Al. Thanks so much for having me. All right, up next, the second of our two special guests, Capitals insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic. What now for the camps at goaltender of them potentially slash likely being done with Ilya Samsonov of having traded their other primary goaltender from this past season, Vitek Vanacek, are the Camps about to make a major move at goaltender with NHL free agency getting going this Wednesday at noon Eastern? Are the Camps about to reel in a big fish at goaltender? We'll get to that and a lot more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It is this Wednesday, July 13th at noon Eastern, that NHL free agency begins. That's when the Capitals can begin signing unrestricted and restricted free agents from other teams. And we now know with certainty that something significant is coming for the Caps at goaltender. Uh, they This past Friday morning, what was day two of the 2022 NHL draft, traded goaltender Vitek Vanacek to the New Jersey Devils, and we on Wednesday afternoon learned that the Caps had non-tendered goaltender Ilya Samsonov, meaning that instead of him this offseason being a restricted free agent, he will be an unrestricted free agent. So it may well be that the Caps' two primary goaltenders from this past season, Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov, are gone. Uh, Cap Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan spoke with reporters on Friday, uh, said some very notable things about the Caps thinking at goaltender, also addressed the health of center Nicholas Backstrom. And among those with whom McClellan spoke is the man who joins me now, Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic. Uh, he also serves as a rinkside reporter for TNT's coverage of the NHL. You can follow Tarek on Twitter at Tarek underscore El Bashir. Tarek, it's great to talk to you. How are you? What's up, Al? I'm doing great. All right, good. Nice to have you back on the podcast. So you this past Friday asked Brian McClellan if the Caps right now would have to clear salary cap space in order to add a significant contract for a goaltender. Uh, He said that the Caps could add one right now. So should we be expecting something big from the Caps at goaltender this week? Well, they certainly have to get a goalie. Um, By shipping out Vitek Vanacek um, last week to the Devils for draft picks, I mean, look, McClellan is an experienced general manager. Uh, He's not going to make that move unless he's got his next move lined up. Um, He's not at liberty to tell us what that move is. Maybe that move is still coming together behind the scenes. Um, That said, you don't make that move unless you know what your next step is going to be or if that falls through, what your backup step is going to be. So, yes, absolutely. The Caps are going to be adding a number one or a number one A goalie. Look, free agency opens uh, at noon on Wednesday. Maybe they sign one there. Maybe a trade materializes. Uh, If you're a Caps fan, put your antenna up because something's going to happen here shortly. In looking at the unrestricted free agent goaltenders to be for this offseason, safe to say that Darcy Kemper of the Colorado Avalanche is the best of the bunch. Yeah, I, I would say Darcy Kemper is the the, the goalie that um, uh, makes sense for the Capitals. Um, you know, he just won the Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche. Um, he's bounced around a little bit in his career, uh, not really through any, any fault of his own. He just has not had great luck with, you know, where he's landed and at the time he landed and what kind of contract he was looking for. So he's bounced around a little bit, but he's very good. 32 years old, got great size. I believe he's six foot five. I interviewed him uh, in the second round um, uh, before one of the games in Denver. And uh, let me tell you, he's got a lot of size. And when it comes to goaltenders, that you know, it, it took it took a little while before um, 
GMs and coaches realize how much size matters. But I mean, just it's kind of obvious, Al. I mean, the bigger you are, the more net you take up. Uh, you know, gone are the days of Darren Pangs and the you know five foot something goalies. And um, Kemper's got great size, and he's put up great numbers. Um, you know, he's going to probably cash in a little bit. This is the last big opportunity for him to get that that kind of life altering altering contract. So you know, you're probably thinking four or five years at five million plus. Um, the Caps do have the cap space. They can create the cap space if they have to go a little higher. Um, he, he's he's the guy that I think they're zeroing in on. But that said, um, I do think there's some options available on the trade market as well. And those are a lot harder to handicap because you don't if you aren't privy to who who's talking to whom, you don't really know what's going on. And teams do a really good job. And McClellan does a really good job of covering his tracks and making sure that things don't get out. I, you, your your listeners probably realize there aren't a whole lot of rumors around the Capitals in the off season. It's because he doesn't he doesn't talk to a lot of people. Um, he keeps those talks confidential. But there will be some options on the trade market as well. Are any of the other unrestricted free agent goaltenders to be this offseason worth considering for the Caps, say a Jack Campbell of the Toronto Maple Leafs or a Martin Jones of the Philadelphia Flyers or not so much? Yeah, Martin Jones, no. Um, Jack Campbell, perhaps. Um, the, the thing about him is he's a 30-year-old who's had half of one good season. You know, he's he's kind of been a backup and a, and a journeyman a little bit. Um, now, that half of one season was incredible. Anyone who watched the NHL last year saw between October and December, he was the best goalie in the league. I mean, he was unreal. And then he completely fell apart for about a month and a half there uh, and had to get his confidence back. And it was pretty good down the stretch. So, look, goaltenders in hockey are a lot like closures in baseball. You know, a lot of it is between the ears. You know, one month they have it. Next month they don't. One season they have it. The next season they don't. It's really hard to commit a lot of money and uh, this is another thing that general managers are starting to figure out is you know gone are the days of the carry price deals and the sergey bobrovsky deals where you know you're signing guys to you know seven eight year contracts for 10 million plus because they had one great year goaltending is fickle and you know it depends on what system is being played in front of you who's you know what your team looks like in front of you where your confidence is at so many variables and so teams aren't really um interested in signing guys to those massive contracts anymore. I bet most contracts here over the next few years for goaltenders are going to settle somewhere between three and six million bucks for guys who play on a regular basis. It's so interesting because to me, goaltender in hockey is the second most important position in sports. Quarterback in football is number one. Goaltender in hockey is number two. And yet, as you just said, most goaltenders are fickle and are year to year. And so paying big money to a goaltender doesn't make much sense unless you have someone who is truly special. And so if you're an NHL general manager, how do you approach roster construction from a goaltending standpoint, knowing that the position matters a ton? I mean, you've had the great phrase over the years that we shouldn't call the Stanley Cup playoffs the Stanley Cup playoffs. We should call the Stanley Cup playoffs Stanley Cup goaltender. Uh, And yet also knowing that most goaltenders are unreliable. You're exactly right. And, you know, and I've said this over the years. I mean, you know, no one on the ice plays more of a role in determining outcomes of games than the goaltender. Uh, it's like a starting pitcher. It's like the quarterback, except for, like you said, they're inconsistent and fickle. Right. So it's, you know, when you talk about roster construction, um, you look at the teams that are winning on a consistent basis. Now they've got one guy who's the man, right? He, he's going to start 60 games. He's going to be the unquestioned starter going to the playoffs for the most part, but you got a guy in reserve. Your backup goalie can be a starter in a pinch. So you got a one a, and you got a one B. Um, and, and you know, that's how the Colorado avalanche did it last year. I mean, Kemper was the number one. Uh, he, he suffered an eye injury. Remember early in the playoffs, had to come out for a few games. Pavel Francouz came in and played quite well. It actually probably outperformed him a little bit. But still, when, when Kemper was healthy, he went back in and did what he had to do. He was good enough to help the Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. Um, go back to the Capitals championship in 2018. You know, Phil Grubauer started the first two games. Braden Holtby came in and won the Cup. So when it comes to roster construction, you, you need two. Um, uh, simply because guys will need a reset. The number one may need a reset at some point during the year because he's had a little bit of a a rough spell. And because of injuries, you don't want to have to rely on your number three or somebody in the minor leagues coming up and playing for three weeks for you. You want to have 
a reliable starter and a reliable backup. And just like quarterback in football, Al, there aren't enough of them. <laughs> there just aren't enough. Just, the, the, the demand outstrips the supply. We're talking with Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic. It is possible that the Caps will re-sign Ilya Samsonov as an unrestricted free agent, but I don't think that anybody is counting on that. If, in fact, the Caps are done with Samsonov, is being done with him justified? The Caps took him with the number 22 pick in the 2015 NHL draft. He, as an NHL goaltender, has been inconsistent at best, and he has had some off-the-ice issues. He was slash has been a disappointment for the Caps. Do you think that any realistic hope of Samsonov blossoming into the franchise goaltender who he was drafted to be is gone, or should there still be hope for Samsonov? I think it's too soon to close the door on Samsonov. Um, 25 years old, still hasn't played a ton. I, I, I don't think the book on Samsonov has been written yet. And, you know, goaltender is the co- most complicated um, position there is, probably next to defense, maybe maybe a little more co- complicated than defense. And, um, you know, you got a lot of late bloomers. you got guys who figure it out as 26 and 27-year-olds. So, yeah, I would say still we're still maybe a year or two away from learning what Samsonov can actually be. Let's get away from goaltender. Uh, I got to tell you, as a Caps fan, this Nicholas Backstrom situation does not feel good. Uh, the Caps on June 18th announced that Backstrom had undergone left hip resurfacing surgery on June 17th in Belgium and that Backstrom would, quote, begin his rehabilitation and lengthy recovery process immediately, end quote. Uh, the Caps actually use that phrase, a lengthy recovery process. Uh, we know he has a history of left hip trouble. This coming season would be his age 35 season. Uh, Brian McClellan on Friday would not commit to Backstrom playing again. You know, the hope is that he will, but you can't just assume that he will. What's your sense on where we're at here with Nicholas Backstrom? You know, Ali, it's really early. It's really early to get a good feel, and uh, even the Capitals aren't sure what to expect here. You know, he, he had kind of a... Um, you know, a, a rare surgery for hockey players getting his hip resurfaced. You know, he went all the way to Belgium to, to find the, the 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 best hip resurfacer in in all of the world. Right? He did all of his research. He called people that the Capitals helped him out. Went to Belgium, had the surgery. Um, guys have been able to come back from hip resurfacing. You know, Andy Murray, the tennis player, came back. You know, is he the elite player that he was before? Probably not, but he still is able to perform. Um, some uh, players in the Swedish elite league have had that surgery done and have been able to come back. So I think everyone is is trying to cling to optimism here, but I think everyone also recognizes the likelihood's too strong a word, but the the, the strong possibility that it's all over, that, that he's going to try and come back and he's not going to be able to get around the rink at, at, uh, with enough pace and that's just going to be it. Now, he you know, last year he struggled to get around the rink, but, you know, still – with his elite hands and vision, he was still able to be a relatively effective player on most nights. You know, it was hard for him to back check. It was hard for him to make plays on the wall. I mean, they were, it was hard for him to join the rush. I mean, he just wasn't up to speed. You know, he's a proud man who's had a really good career. And I think if he comes back or tries to come back and he just can't do it at 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 least a level that's 80% of what he used to be. I think he walks away. But remember, these are guaranteed contracts we're talking about, Al. He's not retiring. He would never walk away from the remaining, what, $40 million, almost $40 million on his contract. He would just go on LTI, long-term injury, uh, which we've seen with a number of players here in the NHL in recent years. Uh, he would just go on long-term injury, and the Capitals would be able to replace his salary, his $9.2 million cap hit, um, for the next four years. Um, that also means the Capitals would not be able to bank any cap space throughout the year, which is a severe disadvantage, but that's just, you know, the situation they would find themselves in. So here's what I think happens from here. I I think that he's going to continue to ramp things up. He's going to try and get back. I think he sits out the regular season. I think he'll get on the ice, let's say, let's call it February and start working towards perhaps coming back for the postseason when the salary cap goes away, a la Nikita Kucherov a few years ago with Tampa Bay. And then he'll start getting into some, you know, more high tempo practices and maybe a game or two, and they'll see where it goes. I mean, if he's if he's okay in those games, maybe he sticks right in. Maybe he actually becomes a good player for um, for the Capitals down the stretch and into the postseason. Now, the really 
complicated part is for the Capitals right now is they can't go out and sign a player in free agency to say a four-year four deal at $9 million to replace Nicholas Backstrom because he might come back. And if he comes back, then you have two dudes making $9 million, and now you got to make trades in other places. So you can really put yourself over a barrel. So, you know, I, I think that free agency – with the exception of a goaltender, it might be pretty quiet for the Capitals because of that. It's such a tricky spot that the Caps are in. On the one hand, they've been eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in each of the last four seasons. The team is an older team. The team has this Nicholas Backstrom left hip situation. Uh, The team also has a key forward in Tom Wilson coming off surgery in May to repair a torn left ACL. But on the other hand, the Caps continue to have very good regular seasons. The Caps continue to make postseasons. And the Caps still have a number of talented players, including, of course, an all-time great in Alex Ovechkin. To me, the Caps aren't good enough to do anything truly special and yet aren't bad enough to justify being blown up and entering into a rebuild. How should Brian McClellan handle where the Caps are at as a team? You're, you nailed it there, Al. I mean, he's between a rock and a hard place. I mean, you've got these guys like Ovechkin and Backstrom and Carlson who've been promised when they sign their long-term extensions, hey, we will continue to augment and bolster this roster to give you guys a chance to win another Stanley Cup. Then you look at the results of the last four years, and you're like, man, <laughs> you know, we haven't gotten out of the first round. Though I will say last year, as disappointing as it was, they did almost beat the President's Trophy winning Panthers. I mean, they had them. They were a empty net goal away from a 3-1 lead, and maybe we're having a little bit of a diff- different discussion right now. Some of these guys are still very productive. Um, I think that uh, the prudent move is to do what they're doing, which is to continue to build around the core, maybe start peeling off some of these older players, trading them to younger teams that need some some veteran leadership and start getting a little bit younger. A rebuild on the fly is what I'm saying here. A, a, a reset isn't required. This team still got 100 points last year, right? This is still a playoff caliber team going into this year. I think everyone expects them still to make the playoffs, even if they're the seventh or eighth seed in the Eastern Conference again. You, I, I don't think you have the discussion, Al, of blowing things up and starting over. Until one of two things happen. They missed the playoffs for consecutive years or Alex is out of the picture. So, um, and I don't see that happening anytime in the next four to five years. So they're just going to continue to, to augment the roster and hope they punch through one more time. One more for you. Uh, the Caps last Thursday night took Russian forward Ivan Moroshnichenko with the number 20 pick in the 2022 NHL draft. He was considered among the most talented players in the draft, but he fell to the Caps at number 20 in large part because in March 2022, it was announced that he had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, but if not for that diagnosis, there is this widespread belief that Moroshnichenko would have been at least a top 10 pick, maybe even a top five pick. Uh, So this could be a potential steal for the Caps. I know that you're not a doctor, but what are you hearing about the prognosis for Ivan Moroshnichenko? So the, the feeling is that they examined the medical records and the feeling is that young men who are elite athletes uh, who've had similar diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma, for the most part, have made 100% recovery. Right now, his recovery is going in the right direction. He's not totally out of the woods, but it's going in the right direction. Um, and you know, pretty soon here, the expectation is he's going to be cleared to begin practicing full go once again. So um, I, I think there were two things that made other teams wary. Number one, the cancer diagnosis. Number two, he's Russian. And right now we see what's happening in the world, right? And we also see that Russia is now making it difficult for young prospects to make their way across the Atlantic Ocean. Well, the Capitals, you know, they got a lot of they got a lot of Russians on this team. Um, they got Alex Ovechkin. Uh, I think they feel like maybe they're a little bit immune to some of those concerns uh, because of their profile and because the fact that if you ask the average man on the street in Moscow about the NHL, he knows about Alex Ovechkin and what he's done for the Capitals. They, they, they you know, they're probably one of the, they're one of the most um, popular teams. You know, maybe next to the Detroit Red Wings um, uh, in in Russia. So, I would say that those two things combined kind of 
conspired to watching him drop in the draft. And it was funny in the days leading up, um, everyone was wondering where, where, where's he going to go? Where's he going to be picked? Who's going to, who's going to, who's going to get the steal here? Who's going to have the, the guts to make that move? And everyone was like, yeah, it's going to be the Capitals. <laughs> when he was on the board, I was already writing my tweet. When he was still on the board. I knew what was going to happen there. Um, so yeah, I mean, if he makes a full recovery and, and all indications are that, you know, he's, Maybe not out of the woods, but he can see the light. You know, he's starting to kind of, he's starting to kind of see the pathway back to being um, fully healthy. You're talking a player who a year ago, like you said, I mean, was the best Russian prospect in this year's draft. And he's there's so many similar traits to Alex Ovechkin. He's not Alex Ovechkin, but you know, he's a right shot who plays on the left side. You know, I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon, by the way. Let's be clear. Like, even if he's given a clean bill of health, I don't think we're going to see him in the NHL next year or the year after, maybe even the year after that. He's going to show up when Ovi's about ready to walk away. You know, we're talking three, four years from now. Um, he's going to show up well, a lot like uh, Kirill Kaprizov and, and, and you know, Evgeny Kuznetsov, who stayed over there for a little bit. He'll show up ready to go. He'll show up as a 23-year-old grown man ready to plug in as the first-line left wing on this team. Yeah, I was going to say, Evgeny Kuznetsov, we waited on him seemingly forever. Uh, The Caps took him with the number 26 pick in the 2010 NHL draft. He didn't make his NHL debut until the 2013-2014 regular season, but he ended up being worth the wait. So perhaps we'll have the same thing here with Ivan Morozhnichenko. Caps insider Tarek Elbashir of The Athletic. Excellent stuff on the Caps, as is always the case. Uh, Tarek, thank you so much for your time and all the best to you. Thanks, Al. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 355, will feature more Commander's conversation. We'll see if anything new has come up in the Capitals goaltending search with NHL free agency beginning on Wednesday at noon Eastern. And I'll talk Nationals and Orioles, although... Not necessarily in that order. We shall see. (laughs) Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night at 7.05 will begin a two-game series against the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park. You know, the Mariners have won eight consecutive games, just as the O's have. The O's on Tuesday night at 8.05 will begin a two-game series at the Chicago Cubs. If the O's win that game, they will have a nine-game single season, regular season winning streak for the first time since their 13 game winning streak in September 1999. Think about that. Have a great rest of your Tuesday and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. 